Scripture reading today is taken from Psalm chapter 2, 102, verses 24 through 28. O oh my God, I say, take me not away in the midst of my days. You whose years endured throughout all generations, of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your ears have no end. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Dave and team. You may be seated. We continue this morning in the uh, series on the attributes of God. Uh, God is... And the attributes that we have been looking at at this series are things that can be ascribed to God and to God alone. Uh, They are not attributes that you and I possess. And I want to make that distinction because there are some things that you and I are that God is too. Uh, We are compassionate, so is he. Uh, We are patient at times, and so is he. But then there are those characteristics that God possesses and God alone possesses possesses. And this morning, so this is big word alert, uh, big theological word alert. You may want to write it down. We're going to talk about the immutability of God, the immutability of God, or we say the God unchanging, God who never, ever changes. An article that Andy Crouch wrote for the blog Q Leadership, he talked about 10 significant trends in our culture. I want to touch on those uh, this morning to give an idea of the rapid rate of change that we are experiencing right now. You uh, most likely feel this, uh, but he put it into good words. He listed 10 things. I won't talk about them all. Uh, His first is connection. He said in June of 2000, 97 million people had cell phones. Uh, Today, 328 million people in the United States have cell phones. That growth from June of 2000 until 2017. In uh, the year 2000, there were no subscribers to Facebook. All right, it didn't exist. Today, there are 1.86 billion users monthly of Facebook. So this idea of connection, whether or not it's a legitimate connection, the idea of how connection is and and exists has changed. He also talked about place. Uh, The rate of people moving from one address to another has changed drastically. People now find a place and they'll adjust their career to be able to stay in a place that they enjoy. So much so that the younger generation, rather than as uh, older folks do say, what do you do? Often say, where do you live? People have found place now to be of incredible importance. But his third is that when people move, they're moving to cities, and that rate continues to grow of the growth of uh, certain cities. Four, he says, the end of the majority. Cultural majorities have collapsed. He says, we are all minorities now. Evangelical Christians are a minority, as are liberal Protestants, Catholics, Jews, Muslims, Buddhists, agnostics, and atheists. 
He says there may never have been a society in history that was as culturally, religiously, and politically diverse as the United States is today, except for the ancient Roman Empire. He says, perhaps the most hopeful model of a community that arose at the edges of that Roman Empire and eventually spread to its heart, among whom there was neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, that community called Christianity uh, arose out of such incredible diversity. And then he says, I love this. When movie directors in the 2030s are trying to convey in a single glance that their scene is set in the 2000s, they'll use the selfie. The self-shot. The self-portrait shot from a digital camera or a cell phone held by one hand extended away from the subject. Previous generations saw themselves most often in mirrors. And so the change continues. And then uh, the final one I'll touch on is informality. He said, in the 2000s, beginning in the year 2000, thereabout, men untucked their shirts, billionaires wore jeans, the most powerful CEO, CEO in America was universally known as Steve. And so when you look at all the rapid change that has taken place, then the question is, in the middle of all of the cultural shifts and the uh, sociological shifts in America uh, if there's, and in the world, if there's ever a time when we need to focus on and worship a God who is immutable, a God unchanging, it is now. And so I would just in full disclosure say to you that I'm leaning heavily this morning on J.I. Packer's book, Knowing God, his chapter called God Unchanging is the, cha- is the title of my sermon. Uh, if you've not read this book, it's a must read. Over a million copies of it sold. I'm leaning heavily on some of his categories because I can't say them any better. And so he lists some ways in which God does not change. I'll flow with him, and you'll want to make note of these. Number one, God's life does not change. Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. In Psalm 90, he echoes the same thought. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you have formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Well, maybe you've heard the expression, some things get better with age, right? You've heard that. Uh, Wine is one of those things, right? The older it is, the better it is. Or if you're from the south, pinto beans. All right, pinto beans, are they not? Aren't they better on day three than day one? Amen. They are. Right? Some things get better with age. But then there are some things that don't get better with age. People's knees. They don't get better with age. No, as you know, I've resumed running. And so, uh, so I'm running again. And different parts of my body hurt more than they once did. As I get older, my body just doesn't seem to get that much better. Things hurt. Can I say something to you this morning? God does not get better with age either. You say, what? 
God does not get better with age either. Why? Let me quote A.W. Pink. God, he's saying, he cannot change for the better because he is already perfect. And being perfect, he cannot change for the worse. God does not improve because he is perfect and as such has no room for improvement. God's life does not change. Number two, then, it stands to reason logically that God's character does not change. If you have ever had a loved one who's had a stroke or maybe some other illness that affects the brain and its capacity to think, their character can often go the way of the illness, right? Uh, Perhaps they never said uh, just a harsh word before, but all of a sudden uh, their attitude shifts or words begin to flow out of their mouths that you never thought you would hear that person say. Not so with God. His character does not change. And so then it stands to reason, if God's character does not change, wouldn't it be important for us to study his character? Uh, So if God's character doesn't change, then I ought to get to know him for who he really is. And so it is in Exodus 3 that he reveals his name to Moses. Now, Moses is in a situation. He's a fugitive. He has run for his life, but he ran right into the the, uh, doors of opportunity. And there he met his wife, just began working for the family business, all is well on the backside of the desert until God shows up and begins to speak through a burning bush. And he calls Moses out. And Moses really doesn't want to do what God says do. What does God say to Moses? Moses, go back to that place from which you are running. And when you get there, Lead my people who have been enslaved now for 400 years. Lead them out of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses is hesitant and he's a back and forth with God. Many of you have done the same thing this very week, right? God has spoken to you. He's communicated something he wants you to do. Perhaps it's to share the gospel with a friend or invite somebody to worship with you. Whatever it may be, it may be small it may be large but god has said that and so uh, you are battling with him so what does moses do he says well okay god if i go t- who am i going to say has sent me and god reveals his name moses said to god if i come who shall i say god said to moses i am who i am and he said say this to the people of israel i am has sent me to you God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name. How long? Forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout how many? All generations. Well, this is a fascinating name, isn't it? Why in the world would God use such a name, I am? It's based on the verb to be. So when I learned Spanish, we have Spanish interpretation going on right now. Thank you, Sulai. And folks are hearing this sermon in Spanish. So I majored in Spanish. So when I, in college, when I learned Spanish, the first verbs that we learned to conjugate were the two forms of to be, estar and ser. It was just the two verbs we learned first. Why? Because so much of language construction is around those two verbs. 
Why is it that God says my name is I am? It could be translated I will be who I will be. Uh, Because it's connected to the verb to be, God is saying I am the self-existent one. I had no beginning. I had no end. I was not created. I have always been. All right, so if God, in revealing his name, says, call me by this name, it is in Exodus 34 that he says, this is who I am in character. It's Moses again. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with Moses there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, that's I am, I am. A God merciful and gracious. Listen to this description of our God. A God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, abounding in faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression of sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Who does God say he is? He is this God who forgives, who is abounding in love, abounding in faithfulness, overflowing with mercy. All right, so if you're here this morning and you've blown it, you're in good company. Why? Because there's a room full of people who have too. And we do not sit here uh, because of our own doing or because of anything that we have accomplished. We are here this morning worshiping and singing songs because of a God who is this character. But he will by no means clear the guilty. And at first listen, I think our, our first reaction to that is, ooh, I don't like that. If God is not going to clear the guilty, I don't like that. But I think I can prove to you in about 30 seconds that you do like a God who does not clear the guilty. Say, what do you mean? Let's say you're pulling out of the drive this, this, this morning as you're leaving. And when you do, somebody coming down the road sideswipes you and they damage your car. Should you have to pay for that? No. Why? Because they're what? Guilty. So a system that would say, hey, they can just keep going even though they've messed up your car and it was all their fault doesn't sit well with you, does it? You want justice. It is in every single one of you. Did you ever have that teacher when one idiot blew it, said, well, the whole class is going to be punished now. Where did that come up in all of teaching, right? We'll punish the whole class. No, 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 kill that kid. (laughs) Let me go. It's not my fault. Idiots acting like idiot, right? It isn't my fault. Why is that in us? Why do you get frustrated when the teacher punishes the whole class for a kid? Because in you is the desire for the guilty not to go free. But then when it's you, there's a problem. When you're guilty, right? When I'm guilty, we get into a problem. We'll see how the unchanging God resolves that later. 
God's character does not change. Third, God's truth does not change. Forever your word, O Lord, is firmly fixed in the heavens. Firmly fixed means settled, eternal, established, continues. It's permanent. It means it's there to stay. All right, so uh, our first value here, we have 10 values at Grace. If you go to our website, you'll see them. And our first value is a Bible-centered teaching and preaching. That's our first one. Why? Why is that value so important? Well, it's connected to the first belief listed also on our website. What is that first belief? Here it is. The Bible was written by men, divinely inspired, and it's God's revelation of himself to man. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. We believe God's word to be God's word from Genesis all the way to Revelation. We believe that to be truth. And since we believe that to be truth, it stands to reason then that all of our sermons roll out of Scripture, right? All right, so we have a choice in that. You may not think we do, but we do, and I've got something to kind of help me uh, illustrate that. And, And those of you who know me, Uh, know that I am not known for my dexterity. So if you're getting scared, you should. All right. So, so I want to say that this ladder represents truth, right? This ladder represents truth. And, and this box is opinion, opinion. Those are two very different things. All right. So God's word is truth. What does that mean? It means it's sturdy, right? I can step up into God's word as I do every week in my study, and I can't wait for what I'm going to find out. Why? The authority is in the word, and I'm digging into the word to bring the word to you. So God's word is truth. It means that all of my life I can climb more and more into the word of God, right? I can get into his word, and I will discover things that I didn't know a year ago. I could read, have you had this experience where you read the same passage and you read that passage a year ago or five years ago and you read it again and you're like, whoa, I never saw that. And so all of your life is going and digging deeper and deeper and deeper into the truth of God, which is his word, right? That's all of your life. Or you can decide, huh, I don't like that part of God's word, Usually we decide that because it conflicts with our lifestyle. No lie, right? And my opinion is that things ought to be different. So what if I decide to step out on this box? All right, somebody said, don't do it, right? So what if I decide to step out on this box? What happens? It comes crashing down, doesn't it? Always, always. My opinion does not matter when it is up against God's word. His word, his truth, is the final and ultimate authority for life. Say, wow, but but Jerry, when, when I watch the news or when I see the cultural shifts of today, when I see all of the things that purport themselves now to be right that once were wrong, uh, I don't know what right and wrong is anymore. We do. It's here. It's God's word, which is truth. God's truth, 
does not change. Psalm 119, 151, and 152. But you are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are true. Long have I known from, uh, long have I known from your testimonies that you have founded them forever. Forever. Unchanging truth. Fourth, God's purposes do not change. All right, so Jesus has given his disciples a disturbing message. I love the fact that Thomas speaks up and asks the question that we all are wondering, right? Uh, don't you love the Thomases in the crowd? You're a little bit hesitant to ask a question, uh, but a Thomas will. And then everybody else is like, oh, so glad you asked. So Thomas asked Jesus a question, and it may have rendered one of the most important statements Jesus ever made in order for us to understand him. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. God's purpose has always been redemption through his son, Jesus. You say, Jerry, how do you know that? If that has always been God's purpose to redeem mankind through his son, Jesus Christ, how do you know? Let's go back to Exodus 34. We love this. He's merciful. He's gracious. He's slow to anger. He's overflowing or abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness for thousands forgiven iniquity and in transgression and sin, but who will by what? No means clear the guilty. All right, so all of a sudden, I know that I indeed am a sinner. You say, Jerry, how do you know that? I live with myself. All right, all you'd have to do is interview my wife and my children, lest you doubt. And they would affirm to you, I am a sinner. As a matter of fact, Romans 3.23 says, how many have sinned? All. All are sinners. Every person in this room. All have sinned and fall short of God's glory. Romans 6.23 marks a clear line between sin and death. The wages of sin is what? Death. All right, so if all of us are sinners, and if sin always leads to death, then my sin renders me guilty. And so there's got to be something to deal with the guilt. And if God will by no means clear the guilty, then something has to step in, or someone has to step in who can clear the guilty. So what we have sung about this morning is that that someone was Jesus Christ. The only acceptable sacrifice substitute has to be one that is perfect, one that knows no sin, who takes my sin on him so that I, through his sin, uh, through my sin being on him, can receive his righteousness. That happened on the cross. God's purpose was to redeem me. He could not be at the same time gracious and merciful and loving and faithful and not tolerate guilty sinners unless there's someone who brings those two realities of his person together in one. And his name we have sung again and again this morning with great joy and with great 
exhilaration. His name is Jesus Christ. Amen? Yes, that is his name. We have sung to him and about him because no other person in human history could do or has done what he has done. It is all for him and to him and about him and with him. It is all about Christ. God's purpose before the foundation of the world. He knew when he created us, when he said, let us make man in our image. And Christ the Son and God the Father and God the Spirit agreed as they always do. That it would take Christ, God the Son, that leads us to this final reality of the unchanging God. God's Son does not change. All right, so you remember, God shows up. Moses says, who shall I say sent me? God says, tell them I am. Now, with that in mind, I am Look at John 8, 58. It'll be on the screen. Jesus said to them, who? The Pharisees. And this made them so mad, they were ready to take him out and destroy him, kill him. Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, what does he say? I am. am. What? Jesus, what is your claim? Before Abraham was, I am. What is he saying? They said, Jesus, you're, you're only 30-some years old. Abraham has been dead a long, long time. How in the world can you say that you preexisted the father of our faith? Well, then there's another account, and this is when they come to arrest Jesus. John records this. So they come to arrest Jesus, and when they do, They don't know which one is Jesus, right? Judas has betrayed him, so they're asking for who he is. And how does Jesus answer them? With two words, I am. All right, now, when he did that, what happened to the soldiers? They just fell back. Scripture says, why? Because God had spoken. How about this I am, Revelation 118. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Or the writer of Hebrews says in 13.8, Jesus Christ is the what? Same. Yesterday, today, and forever. You say, well, well, Jerry, then if I want to get to know Jesus better, what would I do? Do you know what I'd do if I were you? If you sit in this room this morning and you say, I I feel like Jesus feels distant or seems distant from me, open up your Bibles to the New Testament. Go to the Gospels, and you will see there a Jesus who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the same in character. He is the same in truth yesterday, today, and forever. So you will see that Jesus reach out his hands and touch an unclean leper. And then you will be reminded that the uncleanness of your life, he isn't afraid to touch. 
You will see that Jesus come out of a boat of the bottom and speak to the wind and speak to the waves. And you'll see that the wind and the waves calm down. And whatever storm you are going through in your life, you'll know that there is a Jesus who is able to step out of the obscurity of the storm of your life into the forefront of it and speak peace in the middle of the storm. Amen? You'll see that Jesus. Or how about this Jesus? You'll see this Jesus who's on the road. He's going on a, on a particular uh, 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 mission. And as he is, he sees a woman. And she is a widow who is following a casket. And in that casket is her only son. So in her day, that means when her husband died, her son became her livelihood. But now that her son is dead, she has no livelihood. She's at the will of the people. Her life has become destitute. She will despair uh, of life and despair of food. Not to mention the grief that must overwhelm her. And I really wonder... When Jesus saw her, did his mind skip forward? And did he think of his own mom when he would hang on the cross? And so if you're wondering who he is, if you're wondering how he is, he walks over to that casket and makes himself ceremonially unclean and reaches in and touches a dead body. And that boy comes to life. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you sit here this morning and you honestly think he doesn't care. He isn't concerned with your plight. That he doesn't care about your fears and your worries and your your station in life. As a matter of fact, just in case you wonder, the writer of Hebrews brings us home. He says, The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. They were born and they died. They were born and they died. But he, Jesus, holds his priesthood how? Permanently. Because he continues how long? Forever. Consequently, he is able, I love this, to save to the what, church? The uttermost. The uttermost. It matters not what you've done or where you've been or how bad you've been or how sinful you've been or how awful it's been or the crimes you've committed or the the things that are unspeakable that you have done. He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he how much? Always lives to make intercession for them. And so this Jesus who wove his way through the streets of Palestine, touching those he touched, healing those he healed, now makes his way in and out of the rows of this place this morning. If we would pause just for enough, perhaps we could hear the shuffle of sandal feet as he walks among us. And touches changes 
and draws and convicts and encourages. He is the same yesterday, today, forever. <clears throat>